Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. Hey, this is David. Uh, Before we get started on this week's episode, which is a really fun one, I think you're going to enjoy it. Want to share some sad news uh, from the Adweek newsroom. Our colleague Larissa Fall, uh, Adweek's agency's editor, uh, passed away very suddenly on August 5th. Uh, she was only 43 years old. Uh, Larissa was an absolute joy to work with. Uh, she has been covering this industry for 15 years, much of that with Forbes and with Media Post. Uh, many of us have wanted to recruit her over to Adweek, and we finally accomplished that just a few months ago. We were so excited. And uh, her first few months here were such a joy uh, to work with her. Uh, She had such tremendous impact on our coverage so quickly. And uh, unfortunately, it was cut very short. Um, And it's been just a heartbreaking loss for us. Our thoughts have, of course, been with Larissa's family and with her many, many friends and supporters across this industry. Uh, We have had an outpouring of support uh, from many of you and from many folks across the, the marketing world letting us know about the impact she had on their lives. And it has meant so much to us. It's meant so much to her family. And we just uh, wanted to take a moment to remember Larissa uh, and to tell you that her memory, uh, her impact on us is going to last a, a very long time. And we will be keeping her and her family in our thoughts. And uh, yeah. so thank you. And uh, with that, we will get on to this week's episode. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. And this week, we're talking booze. Well, okay, we're specifically talking like relatively single percentage alcohol, but still... Uh, the the beverage industry has just been exploding in really unprecedented ways over the last few years. Uh, you're, so no surprise, we're going to be talking about your hard seltzers. Uh, I don't know, maybe the occasional hard kombucha. Uh, but all this trend of uh, kind of extensions of beers and wines and alcohol-free trends. And hey, a little, little cannabis, a little THC infusal. And with us to talk about that, I've got two of the brightest minds I know who uh, write about the beverage scene. And that's Samer Kaderi. Uh, Samer, uh, tell us your you write about uh, the about beverage trends for Adweek on occasion as a freelancer. Uh, but tell us a little bit about your your beverage connections. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the intro, Griner. Um, I was in uh, digital marketing for uh, some breweries out in Boston. I've been in the beer scene for about ten years. Uh, currently, I write for Adweek. And I have some bylines, including uh, Good Beer Hunting, uh, some local uh, food and bev magazines in the Boston area, and uh, Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. I was uh, selected as the beer critic of 2020 this past year. Hey, congrats, man. That's awesome. 
Uh, and uh, we've also got back, as always, I, I don't know, did I introduce myself? I'm David Griner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. And uh, with us, as always, is my favorite drinking buddy, or would be if we ever got to hang out in the same state or city, Shannon Miller, uh, creative and inclusion editor at Adweek and co-host of the podcast. Shannon, always great to see you. Hi. Or hear you and talk to you in a podcast environment. That too. Um <laughs> Shannon, I'm curious uh, before we introduce our last celebrity guest here, uh, what are you what are you most hopeful we'll talk about today? Like whether it's a nerdy little niche of drinks or a thing you've noticed or a thing that bugs you, what, what are you excited to talk about today? Well, um, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about this hard kombucha thing that you mentioned <laughs> yes. at the top of the episode of the the trail that went down my spine. Kombucha is hard enough, um, so I would love to learn more. <laughs> Oh, what what's going on there? Uh, it, fun fact, uh, Samer can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, like hard kombucha has different like regulatory like labeling requirements than beer. There's some. I don't think we're going to get into like heavy regulation stuff today. I know everyone's disappointed. We're not going to be talking about federal regulations. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, it's funny when I was trying to research like who who regulates what and who label who decides what gets labeled. And it was like hard kombucha is separate. from. <laughs> I was like, of course, of course, hard kombucha is its own category. Uh, and with us to uh, to dissect all these different trends is Terry Stanley, uh, a.k.a. T.L. Stanley, uh, one of the most popular writers senior editors here at Adweek. Uh, Terry, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I have a, a very brief hard kombucha story. The first time I saw someone buying it at my Ralph's, I, I quizzed this poor guy for probably five whole minutes. <laughs> I was like, okay, what is that? And what does it taste like? And I, I had a million questions for this guy and he very, <laughs> very patiently answered them all. He was quite lovely about it, but I have not yet tried it myself. Uh, Terry has written about so many trends and subtrends within the beverage category. Uh, Terry correctly predicted, at least in my household, that ranch water would be the drink of summer. Uh, that has definitely held true at my place. Uh, you, I've been making my own, uh, but uh, you can certainly buy any of the many uh, brands of of canned ranch water that are out there. Uh, and Terry certainly saw that trend coming. Uh, she's written about THC-infused beverages, about alcohol-removed wines. I'm sure some of these will come up. Um, but uh, Terry, yeah, you've been you've been all over this. So thank you so much for making time for us because uh, we are really going to stretch your knowledge to the limit here because we have so many things that we want to cover. And with that, I'm just going to, yeah, I don't know. Let's just dive right in. Okay, uh, let's do a jargon check. This is one of my favorites because we may use some of these terms. I don't think we'll like, you know, annoyingly use them. Uh, but there are certain terms that help distinguish like beer from some of these other things, even though when you get down to it, these are all basically just like made from the same three or four ingredients in different, and then occasional flavorings. Uh, Samer, tell us, what is an FMB? So an FMB is a flavor malt beverage, and the thing that interests me about this uh, is, as you were saying about regulations and how odd they can be, uh, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Tax Bureau, uh, the TTB, actually regulates a flavor malt beverage as a beer. So when you look at some of the data, a lot of these uh, hard seltzers and things are actually categorized in beer. So when you look at beer sales over the past several months to a year, uh, 
beer's looking good, but it seems that people are drinking more of uh, these FMBs and kind of adjunct beverages more than your traditional hops and barley and water. Now, now for those of a certain age, which is to say, uh, I'm in my early 40s, um, and so for those of us who, who maybe grew up in the 80s uh, or, or earlier, uh, you may be like, Wondering where were these things? I, I had not. These were not. You know, you had your occasional uh, wine cooler era uh, kind of a phase, but I thought it was really interesting. And Sam, you may know some, some more about this, but I was reading that a lot of this started in the '90s with with the exact kind of loopholes you're talking about. Is these brewers realizing, hey, this is technically it falls under the uh, definition of beer uh, because it's just made with malt. Uh, just like beer is, and uh, and if we do that, we'll be taxed. If we make these drinks, we'll be taxed at a much lower rate than stuff that's made out of spirits or made out of wine or you know some of these other ingredients. And so it really started as a tax loophole. Uh, and then there were a bunch of other loopholes I was reading about people like driving up the alcohol percentage and a bunch of other stuff uh, that eventually the ATF, the parent company of the the you know the regulatory body kind of close those loopholes. But this also explains both why it was a very new trend and then also why it was a very U.S.-centric trend, because I'm guessing these kind of tax perks uh, did not apply. Anything else you've you've learned about kind of the, the history of how these things seem to come out of nowhere in the last 20 years? Well, I think more uh, recently, uh, these alternatives, as they call them. Uh, oh, man, also, that's just not as sexy as FMB. Alternatives, <laughs> <laughs> FMBs, also appeal to um, consumers that may be gluten intolerant or gluten sensitive and also tra- uh, like around people that are looking for a locale option. Um, so... Yeah, and it sounds like the science of this is that they eventually just got good at being able to, even though all this is made from malt, again, just like beer, just like beer has been for thousands of years, uh, that they figured out a way to just keep, like, I don't know the right term for it, purifying it down to a point where this stuff has no flavor. So it no longer tastes like beer. I think all of us know that there's still a little bit of an aftertaste, you know, when you drink some of these, that you can kind of taste that, that it's like hard to pin down. But, but I mean, typically they do a good job. You drink a hard seltzer, you don't taste beer, right? Uh, so they, they've obviously done a good job of kind of I, I think some of this trend is probably driven in part by that science of of figuring that stuff out. Um, but Greiner, I think also, isn't it a distribution issue? And it's a here's a marketing term for us, sessionable issue. This was it certainly came up when I was talking to people about ranch water, because if you make ranch water with tequila, then it's a different beverage. If you don't make it with tequila, then it it gets sort of lumped in with beer and the distribution can be much wider. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, which segues perfectly to my next favorite jargony term that comes up a lot. Terry, why don't you tackle this one? What is an RTD? Um, stuff that I would never drink because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a harsh. I know, right? I'm a purist. Like I don't like uh, I'm not big on the fruity stuff anyway, but um, the thought, I, I, maybe it's just a bit of a throwback because I know they've evolved. You know, we we saw RT. Wait, wait, you got to you gotta walk us through the abbreviation. Okay, what is ready, RTD stand Ready for? to drink. So that would be a cocktail in a can. So let's yes, just say, absolutely. you know, like a, a, a Mai Tai or a margarita or um, any kind of mixed drink that we would have previously perhaps ordered at a bar and watched someone make it for us. 
it, it comes in a can now. And the convenience, obviously, that's why people love it, because it's so convenient. They don't have to buy the mixers. They don't have to know how to put it together, nor do they have to go out and order it someplace, which, as we know, uh, during lockdown wasn't possible anyway. So we did see that trend of people becoming amateur mixologists at home. And, you know, thank you, Stanley Tucci. So uh, that happened, but also people were, I think, are already accustomed to the convenience of the um, seltz, the hard seltzers. So they didn't want to necessarily mix it themselves. So they wanted a can that was fully self-contained that they could just grab and like, oh, it, this is a, you know, a Tom Collins or whatever. So question Buzz balls, this like the little like ball shaped drink that either involves like rum, tequila. I think there are vodka versions that are kind of sweeping TikTok right now. Would that be considered an RTD? Uh, I, I'm Googling buzz balls. It apparently has a Z at the end. <laughs> yes. I, I was not familiar <laughs> with these. It, it is literally, if you Google it, it comes up as a ready to drink cocktail. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got to, I've got to pretend to be 21 years old. Hold on. Oh, speaking of which, I totally forgot. I have like audio. I have, I have the experiential audio here. Ready? Here it goes. Hold on. What was that? <laughs> that was, that was a Pabst Blue Ribbon hard coffee, which is the only, uh, Samra, that's an F&B, right? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, I think what happens too is that some of the RTDs and FMBs, the line gets a little blurry, especially when the RTD, for example, uh, is not the spirit itself. It could be like a vodka inspired drink, and therefore, and now it's uh, an FMB, like the um, ranch water that we were just talking about. Um, the same thing, you know, happened with. Uh, Molson Coors and Coca-Cola when they made the hard Topo Chico. Now, the hard Topo Chico isn't necessarily a ranch water RTD, but inspired by uh, the, that that drink that is common in the Southwest and things like that. I, I, yeah, I, I feel- yeah, and I think you just put your uh, you just put your finger on something important, Samer, about the blurred lines because we we just included in a few recent stories some results from a Drizzly study, and they asked consumers uh, to define hard seltzer, and most of them got it wrong. They don't even know what's in it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of intentional blurring here, as we're all kind of mentioning, is that what you, if you see it, well, this varies by state, of course, here in Alabama, um, and in probably most states, if you see it in a can next to the beer shelves, uh, like of your grocery store or wherever, it's probably an FMB, uh, right? And if you see it in a liquor store or in a place where you're able to buy hard liquor, it could be an RTD. It could be actually like, right, Samra, that's a pretty yeah, that's- safe way to define it. So for like, for me, I will say I've not seen a big impact um, of this trend on liquor stores. Now I'm also in a state with heavy, heavy state regulation. Of, so like almost all liquor stores are owned by the state. Uh, and they 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 have not set aside any shelf space re- of of note <laughs> for RTDs because they're still using it to you know sell you uh, very cheap booze. But um, but I, I I'm guessing we will see more of that. 
Now, but before we, we move on, because um, I did want to go a little deeper on some of these, like Pabst, uh, which is the, the only, like I said, the only one I have here. That's one that Sammer's uh, covered. Specifically, they're doing some really interesting stuff um, in both the, and actually that's a good segue because they have their F&Bs like this hard coffee. I'm sure they have other ones. Um, but then they also have Pabst Labs. So, Terry, tell us about Pabst Labs is separate from Pabst. It's like a licensee, right? It is, yeah. And they um, they are specifically looking at THC-infused products. And so they have two, two beverages that are relatively new. The first one that came out was five milligrams of THC per can. And then the next one was 10 milligrams. So they stepped it up a bit, which is very... Uh, on brand for them, I think. Um, so, and I have that in my fridge, but if I pop that open, I will become incoherent pretty shortly. So I'll spare you. Is it, is it faster than an edible? Uh, well, it depends on how fast you drink it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to just cut a hole in the bottom with a key. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If, yes. If you shoot it, Yes, it is. Shotgun, my first THC beverage. Yeah. Um, it's important oh, to note with those THC beverages that they actually have to still remain non-alcoholic based on, again, our our laws of not being able to produce a beverage that has both THC and alcohol. Yep. Yeah, which the, which they've turned into a marketing thing, right? Like Can, I believe, is the, the, the most popular of those, C-A-N-N. Yes. Uh, Terry, you've covered them, and and I I like the I mean I am swayed as a middle aged person. I am swayed by the don't you want to party and not get a hangover message, <laughs> and I'm like I do, yeah. <laughs> and a, a lot of people are that appeals to a lot of people, and of course we can understand why. And they they are generally like can. That, that's a very low THC percentage. So, and yes, as Samer said, they don't have al- they don't have any alcohol at all. So there's not the mixing of two, the two. And even in say THC wine, which does exist and it has gotten a lot better over time, it's it's not exactly wine. You know, I mean it it's not an alcoholic drink. It is a THC infused drink. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, and I think you notice this a lot now. Samurai, uh, not to put you on the spot, because uh, this is something I'm confused about. So we just covered the fact that they announced uh, Boston Boston Beer, uh, as if, and God, it's all blur now if we've actually talked about I don't think we've talked about their their trends, their sales trends with Truly. Uh, but before we get into that, I, I was going to say they just announced that folks may have heard about a Hard Mountain Dew that they're partnering with Pepsi to make, I believe, three different flavors of Hard Mountain Dew that will be coming out next year. I thought it was really interesting that notably it does not have caffeine, um, which, of course, you think of Mountain Dew, you, you think of a, a pretty caffeinated beverage. It's gamer fuel, right? Is this like some holdout from the lessons of, of first gen for Loco? I mean, is there kind of generally an aversion to I, th- I want to see this. Hard- <laughs> That's really funny. I didn't actually know that there wasn't caffeine in this uh, new hard Mountain Dew, but I think maybe that does have to relate to... Uh, what happened with Four Loco? Um, I think it's really interesting just to see these mergers of, you know, the the parent alcohol company and then the the people that probably have the rights to the other soft 
beverage, which, you know, turning a soft beverage into a hard beverage now is becoming just, again, a new trend. And people are trying to retain uh, relevancy in their markets, whether it's, as we mentioned, the Molson Coors Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Boston Beer Company, or even um, Heineken and Arizona iced tea for their their sunrise drinks. So it's not we're going to be seeing a lot more of this uh but yeah, appa- yeah, apparently, like I just, I just had to Google this quietly while we were doing this because I was like, I'm sitting here with this Pabst Coffee thing, and I was like, I, I think there's caffeine in it. I've been telling myself that, um, but then I, after the Mountain Dew stuff, so I had to Google it. And apparently, I guess the difference here and what kind of sets them apart from the controversial way of doing this is is that it's not added artificially. They're not like for locoing it up by being like now inject the caffeine. It's just like because there's coffee in it. The, the caffeine comes from the coffee. So I guess that's somehow less for loco than <laughs> it's less loco than for loco. Um, but uh, so let's talk about let's talk about Boston beer. Let's talk about truly. I'm sure this is something you you know a lot about uh, given your background, Samer. Um, but there were some alarm bells going off in this very, very hot industry. and and just to give folks some background here, I mean we most of this growth seems to trace back to around 2015, 2016. I think that one year there was this like number that got thrown around a lot of three thousand percent growth in hard seltzers. and I'm like, well, when you go from two to twenty one or whatever. Sometimes those numbers look impressive. But from 2016 on, we've seen an average of 128% growth in this one category, just in the hard seltzers every year. Uh, And so in 2016, and by one count, it was $41 million industry. Uh, it is currently, uh, I think for for this year, uh, it was at uh, $2.5 billion. So from $41 million to $2.5 billion. That's a, that's a substantial growth. Um, but then last month in July, uh, they in a earnings call, Boston Beer, which of course makes Sam Adams, but also very wisely uh, pivoted to making Truly uh, the the hard seltzer. They announced that sales had not met their expectations. Uh, their summer their summer demand that they had really expected just did not materialize at the level that they thought it would, and. Boston Beer's uh, stock price dropped 26% in one day, and and perhaps more dauntingly, it cast this this cloud of at least in media coverage of you know has hard have hard seltzers you know plateaued are we uh, you know have we over overestimated the growth of this thing? What's your read on that on that number? I don't think we've heard similar numbers from anybody. We haven't seen any alarms from White Claw, which is the industry leader, the the biggest part of the category there. Samer, what's your take on on what happened in July with Boston Beer? Um, I honestly think that that blip was not – I think the media actually gave more attention to it, which then caused more of this, like, stock uh, drop because I honestly think that uh, the portfolio of Boston Beer Company with brands like Trulid and Twisted Tea is just doing fine. Uh, And we know that, like, in their numbers of production at least – that 84%, around 84% of their portfolio are these two products of Truly and Twisted Tea, and Truly is doing well, so well that, you know, it makes up even, I think, over 200% of their sales over their actual beer. There's a very funny, uh, well, prominent beer writer, Brian Roth, who just says that people don't drink beer anymore, so I don't think they need to worry um, about what happened in July 
Yeah, the uh, I mean, and just to reiterate, because you 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 passed over a lot of numbers there very quickly. But for folks who don't realize it, remind us again, like how how much of Boston beer it, of their portfolio, which they are known as Sam Adams, right? That's their iconic beer. Uh, what percentage of that company is now hard seltzer? Um, from or also F&B. yeah, for I think. IRA I data taken from the last uh, four weeks. Currently, um, Truly and Twisted Tea make up eighty four percent of the the Boston beer portfolio, and I think Sam Adams is only around uh, four to eight percent. I mean, imagine so. So thinking about that number, Shannon, like imagine. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about just the abject terror of being a major brewing powerhouse corporation over these past few years. And of course, yeah, like there's there's Bud Light Seltzer and they're doing their best. They're trying to get out there. But beer was already not having a great time. Mainstream beers were already pretty slow. Uh, but <laughs> like, what do you think is going through the heads of uh, your, your major, your AB and your Heineken like beer execs over these past few years, uh, Shannon? You know, I, I honestly am not sure. I mean, when you see like, such a serious shift. I think your thing is, okay, well, how do we catch up? How do we, what is our point of entry? Um, So, yeah, I I can't imagine what they would really think saying that, to be honest. Now, now this is, I should be clear, uh, we mentioned that how a lot of this started with kind of tax loopholes in America. Samer, it feels like this is still a very U.S.-centric trend so far i feel like ab's told me like yeah actually our biggest growth uh areas are moving some of these products into other markets and into really selling them in south america and selling them in central america as really refreshing beverages and in places that haven't really seen this spark filter so i mean there could still be some room for pretty massive growth i just don't i just think they're kind of starting from zero it sounds like versus in america we've we've had this past six years to kind of slowly warm up to uh to fmbs and hard seltzers absolutely and i think also that trend of just experimentation in beer uh has started uh you know, in America with a lot of adjuncts and fruited beers and these kind of milkshake IPAs and things like that, and then make their way uh, internationally. So I wouldn't be surprised that uh, the same thing happens with these FMBs and RTDs. Uh, Terry, I've got a specific question. We touched on this a little bit, but we've got to talk about the alcohol free trend, the alcohol removed trend. Some of this, by the way, is regulatory, again, that the government is pretty specific about how it wants like alcohol removed wines labeled. So that's why you'll see some of these terms somewhat prominent, uh, because a lot of that is required by 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 law. Uh, but the bigger question here is like why you've recently written about alcohol free spirits and how that category went from being very niche uh, to being, uh, I'll be honest, there is not a moment that I open Instagram that I do not get ads for alcohol-free spirits. Literally every single time I open it, which I don't know what that says about me as a person. What they're maybe they're being a little judgy, but anyway, um, or maybe maybe I'm just living the healthy lifestyle that they know. But but what's going on there, Terry? Why is alcohol-free stuff uh, blowing up so much? 
They they all heard that PBR that you just opened, and they're <laughs> they're concerned about you, Griner. Um, they're like, you could you could do better. They were like, Griner, you're recording this at eleven a.m. <laughs> on a weekday. <laughs> well, um, interestingly enough, it, it is the reverse of the trend that Samer was just mentioning, because the whole sober curious movement has been embedded and it's much more mature in other markets, um, Europe, Germany. Um, but it's, it's, it's now, um, really getting a foothold here and becoming something that people talk about that they're sharing. Um, and there are, there is an absolute explosion, like you said, in this low and no alcohol, um, segment. And in fact, I wonder, it, it probably will never be very big for beer, but I had tasted recently some IPAs that were no alcohol. And I thought they were pretty amazing because I, I like the taste of beer. I'm not an actual beer buyer. I don't drink it regularly, but I do like the taste. And if something tastes exactly like what I think a real beer would taste like, but it doesn't have any alcohol, I would probably buy that. And I, you know, it, it's interesting that when I talk to people about this, you have the two camps. There are those people who immediately get it, who say exactly the same thing you did, Griner. Like, I would like to be social. I would like to be at a party, an event, you know, having fun and with friends and have something in my hand that looks like a cocktail, but I don't necessarily want the calories and I don't want the hangover. So there are those people who understand it immediately. And there are those other people that are like, why bother? Why, why don't you just, you know, just drink water? But um, it's, it's a huge category. It's going to get even bigger. There will be a lot of mergers and acquisitions. You know, these small startups are going to get gobbled up. Um, I recently wrote about Starla, which is an, one of those de-alcoholized wines that um, I tried the Chardonnay, I didn't think was great. The red, I thought was kind of gross, but the sparkling bubbly rosé was actually quite good. And I, you know, I would buy that because I do like wine. And if I could drink something that really tastes like wine, but I'm not going to feel bad the next day uh, after one and a half glasses, um, yeah, I would definitely buy that. So yeah. in terms of like the timeline of the quarantine, I'm wondering, was did we notice a spike in interest mid-quarantine or was it something that was stemming possibly before that, because I'm wondering how much of an impact the pandemic and being stuck at home really drove that curiosity of like getting into an alcoholic or a possibly non-alcoholic beverage without being burdened with that hangover and that ick feeling of being like two turn. Like, so where do we feel like this fell on the timeline of all that? It was, it was definitely already percolating in places like the mm -hmm. UK. It was, it was already, uh, dry January was very big, even, even previously. But uh, like a lot of mm -hmm. things, I think the pandemic did accelerate. That's a really good point because 
people initially, I think, were so freaked out. We saw alcohol really spike alcohol sales because people were like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. Glug, glug, glug. And then they that the sort of health concerns and the wellness concerns started to t- started to take over. And they were like, OK, I, I cannot continue at this level at this, you know, like drinking like I'm in college level. So I think it definitely accelerated. People started looking around for alternatives and and thinking, okay, I need to take better care of myself, and I can't I can't um, you know drink true alcohol at this level. Yeah, you saw like 2019. I think was kind of the the white claw summer. You know, before everything yeah. everything really bottomed out uh, with quarantine. But then you also had huge dry January. Um, you know, it's these trends were kind of coalescing. I will say that anecdotally, I saw, and and certainly with myself, uh, a lot less a lot less beer drinking, a lot less kind of traditional social drinking. Obviously, in quarantine, and a lot of my friends just said like, I just stopped drinking altogether because I just feels weird, feels kind of gross sometimes um, to just be sitting around. Uh, but but also, I think what you know this trend, and we we talk about it. Maybe I'm biased because I'm. Again, I'm at a certain. I'm at this age, and, and it sucks. Uh, where I, I it would t- it would take a lot more drinks than I am going to drink to get me drunk. Like it would take quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, I'll get hung over after two two drinks. Um, and so I think we're going to see. You're hearing this a lot with natural wines. You're hearing this with a lot of stuff. Is like you'll be less hung over. And I'm every single time. I'm like. Well, you sold me. (laughs) Because, again, it doesn't take a night of hard partying uh, to to really wreck me the next day. I hate to be the bearer of bad news for folks who are not yet in their uh, kind of mid-30s and beyond. Um, But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm... to me, that's been the biggest driver for some of these. I will also say mm-hmm. that, and this has come up when I've talked with Anheuser Busch as well, is bloat, right? Which is always a fun word to say. But like, yeah, beer, beer makes you feel pretty gross, and and uh, especially even if you have like mild kind of gluteny issues, like you just you just feel or look or become uh, kind of kind of bloaty, and that, like, I was surprised Anheuser-Busch execs are pretty direct when you talk to them about, like, yeah, there are a lot of people who don't want to feel bloated, and so they're drinking these heart cells or something, like, are there people who want to feel bloated? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's kind of weird how you, re- like, when you really, like, sit and think about it, how, like, oddly enough, global warming and sustainability plays an, a part in that, just because it's hotter now. Like, drinking is supposed to be this very, like, refreshing thing until you deal with the after effects, the bloat, the hangover, um, the anything. So if you are like in a place like Florida, like me, all of that, and then doing just little activities of daily living, like you're very careful shopping, you're very careful errands, um, that heat and that after effect are terrible, terrible, where summer just feels like an awful time to drink. It's weird kind of seeing how all of these different factors kind of like shift the mood now with the whole drinking thing. Whereas like seltzers and and things that are lighter feel a little bit like, you know, grace a little bit. Um, Well, I've got uh, two questions, one for Samer, and then we'll end on a fun note uh, now that uh, we're all thinking about the end of the world and 
the our beverage of choice as we watch everything fall apart. Uh, Samer, what's your prediction for the rest of this year, for the year to come? What's going to happen with these macro trends? Um, well, I think like we were saying earlier, distribution is really interesting. A lot of um, packaging because of just how, uh, you know, the uncertainty of whether or not we can go back and drink on draft versus like the just buying things, whether it's through e-commerce, DTC, and especially if these regulations start getting a little eased up that you can actually start buying I know some products you can buy direct to consumer, but I know beer especially is still uh, something that you can't. I know you can buy wine, but canned products across the board are definitely going to be easier to get um, and different variations, whether THC infused, CBD infused, uh, different adjuncts. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one that just makes everyone kind of turn their head kind of like the the hard Mountain Dew recently. Yeah, it's funny that that one, that one ended up being like such a talker, you know? And I was just like, when when I I wrote about it for Ad Week and I was like, eh, you know, it's interesting. So yet another extension, but I don't know, something about the idea of of buzzed out Mountain Dew. Now again, I was just disappointed to find out I didn't have caffeine, but uh, I pay in the sins of first gen four loco. Um, The, okay, so here's my fun question to end on for everybody. Uh, at the hottest day of the year, you're going to, I don't know, a lake or a beach or a body of water where you're allowed to bring a beverage. What is your beverage of choice right now? What sounds the best? Uh, Terry? There's a relatively new product uh, from one of the big cannabis companies called Jim and Jane. Obviously, that is targeted directly at me, a girl, um, although it's not super fruity. Um, and it's very low THC. It's about five milligrams THC. And the, the ones I tried, I thought were really delicious. And I would probably do something like that or, or can, um, rather than that. I don't, I don't really go for those, um, you know, fruity flavors and skinny cans seltzers. They, they just seem overdone to me. I guess it just, it would feel like, I, I would feel like I was, you know, trying to hop on a trend that's at least two summers old. Yeah, I, you know, sadly, uh, I, I fall right into that. I'm probably, if I'm being honest, uh, like I was in New York recently, hung out on a my friend's little kind of rooftopy area on a very beautiful day, uh, and uh, my my go to drink was I brought over mango white claws because I was like, oh, that feels perfect. <laughs> Just feels like the the drink to bring to a thing like that, and you know. Two of those are pretty good. Uh, third one, it gets a little gross. But those first two, uh, when you're when you're like pretty hot, there's that's that's a fine that's a fine drink. Uh, I, you know, my my nerd foodie side should say that I, I make ninety five percent of my own drinks. Like not not in terms of like fermenting my own beverages or whatever. But I'm like, I'll just make a cocktail. But I'd say if I were going to buy something, probably be in that vein. Uh, Samer, what about you? Well, I've been sitting uh, in my closet recording this podcast. I haven't had these uh, frozen RTD popsicle uh, icicle things, but that sounds really good right now. Um, definitely w- one of those. Nice. Okay, Shannon, bring us home. What is your beverage of choice for a hot summer day? I haven't had it yet, but 
I only recently learned about um, Arizona tea made a hard green tea. Um, I don't even know if I can get this locally, but I do know that Arizona's, the brand um, as a whole, is like corner store royalty. I trust that brand with my life. Like, I <laughs> love it so, so much. So for them to have a hard version, I cannot, I don't need to taste it to understand it is probably the best thing I've probably ever had. Um, so I, I want a case. I want a case right now, wherever I can find it. Um, but I, I feel like that would be something that I would love to try, like beachside, waterside, on a table, uh, not a table, a towel far, far away from the ocean. Um, yeah, that would definitely be my choice. C- c- Arizona, hit me up. <laughs> I, am I, okay, I assume this is still the can design. Now I'm suddenly doubting myself. That Arizona can with like the tree and the... The cherry blossoms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That mm-hmm. to me, that color, like the color of that, that like teal color and the, and the tree... That is to me the most aesthetically pleasing product design I think I've ever seen. And I can't Isn't it so nice? I can't put my finger on it. Like I just I look at it and I'm calm. And I just like even as someone who writes about marketing and hosts a podcast about all this garbage, I'm just like, man, I don't know. Whatever they did there, it works. <laughs> <laughs> you just feel centered. You feel like you have a can on a, like a really grueling trip, like a road trip, and you're like, you know what? It's gonna be fine. I will get there yeah. when I am supposed to get there. So I I just am very curious to um, experience that in, in a hard version. And even if you look at the design um, of the can, if you ever see it, it still has that very aesthetically pleasing um, ethos. And even like the hard where we're so used to like, Seeing like lightning bolts and like jagged <laughs> <Yeah>. grizzly bear <laughs> punch you in the face. They're just like, nah, babe, it's hard. Like, <laughs> it's just so nice. It's so, so nice. I really, I am so curious about it. And apparently, I can't get it locally. So, I'm gonna, this is gonna be on my mind for a while. Now, I'm looking at the can design. I, I had to look it up. And you're like 90% right in the sense that the can design still has that like color pattern cherry blossom but the word hard is written in that font that you would use if you made like a movie in the 90s about about bmx riding or something. that's fair that is fair it's like i guess like we spray painted this one <laughs> but you know shannon christmas is coming so it could it could happen true. you could find a case of that Fing- under the tree fingers and toes crossed all right on that note uh thank you so- this has been one of the most fun episodes we've recorded in a long while uh samara cannot thank you enough for joining bringing your wisdom bringing your humor uh this has been uh, a wonderful and we'll have to have you back on again soon i appreciate you all having me on board this was fun uh terry stanley our beloved colleague here at Adweek, uh thank you so much uh for for uh coming back on i'm sure we we find reasons to drag you on like every three weeks uh so thank you as always it's always fun and i meant to mention that i was just in montana and you know what the folks there were ordering with their barbecue ranch water hey (laughs) drink of the summer um and uh shannon miller always a pleasure thanks so much i uh, hope you find the arizona hard tea that your soul uh deserves thank you so much now give me some of that paps 
All right. Uh, yeah, by the way, like Pabst at some point sent me samples. I think they they intended to send them to the Adweek staff, but we are remote, so they sent them to my house in Alabama. Y'all, I, I, I'm not going to drink cases of, of Pabst coffee, so I'm, <laughs> I've just been sitting on them. They're just literally sitting in cases. So if you happen to be in Alabama, uh, drop me a note. You can swing by. I'll throw you a four pack of these things uh, because I've, I've got. A, I, I drink like one every two weeks uh, at the most, and so I'm just like, yeah. It's I, but I'm gonna branch out. I'm gonna try some some other stuff now after this conversation. Terry, you gotta. Well, we'll connect offline about getting me some THC stuff. So, all right. Um, thanks, everybody. Uh, we will be we'll be back soon. Uh, our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGivney. If you haven't already, uh, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get those podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, you can reach us anytime, podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>